another hot one. A high 102 with zero humidity. So get those little ones in. Keep cool. But don't touch that dial. Coming up next is All My Hexes, right here on WHXT. Best of the West. Friday. I interrupt your regularly scheduled broadcast with a message for the curious, the confused, and the confounded. You are not alone. I see it too. Something isn't right in Hexed, Texas. to a beautiful lake side scene. It's the middle of August in uh, Minnesota. It's hot, a little bit sticky. There are mosquitoes everywhere. But your grandmother insisted that for her big 6-0, this is where we were going to have our post-church Sunday birthday celebration right by the lake. And your aunt and uncle are visiting up from Texas for the occasion. Your Aunt Vivian and your Uncle Harold are up, and the rest of the family is sort of setting up the table, and your grandmother is very, very, very upset at you. And she says, Now, Charlie, I saw you falling asleep there in the church today, and I was so ashamed. Did you know that the priest saw you too? I wanted to smack you, but you were too far away, and I was afraid that I would get my hands stuck on that nasty color, whatever you use Kool-Aid to dye your hair. Jesus doesn't like purple hair. I feel so attacked. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna regress back to my actual childhood. I just don't see why God cares if we go to church. I mean, it's just a building and it's just a bunch of words and it doesn't make any sense. Oh God. Oh God help us. Get, get out of my sight. I can't talk to you right now. And your your uncle, Harold, comes over and says, uh, Charlie, why don't you go on a fishing trip with me? Um, we'll just kind of get away and and uh, check out the lake. And uh, maybe they'll simmer down just a little bit. Yeah, I'll get in my touch with my Jesus, the fisherman roots, grandma. <laughs> uh, you and your uncle Harold uh, set off in a rowboat. And uh, has a little motor on the back, just in case you hit some choppy water. And you get about two hours, two hours into fishing, when you feel something very large bump the bottom of your boat. And the boat kind of sways side to side. And your uncle looks at you and he kind of, he kind of laughs and he goes, Oh, well, I knew they had big fish in this lake, but I didn't realize it was big enough to knock over the boat. I mean, was that like a rock or something that we seem kind of far out for, uh, or, uh, oh, it's, um, the wake from boats maybe? Is that, I think I read that somewhere. Well, I don't see any other boats out here. I mean, what else could it have been? I well, I don't know. I'm not from here. You know, I just come up here, deal with your crazy family just because, you know, I love your aunt so much. Yeah, I don't know why you put up with it either. 
<sighs> well, gotta say that my cigarettes helped me through. And he pulls out a pack of Marlboros and starts lighting one up. You know, those things will kill you. Oh, well, so will your grandma's cooking. <laughs> That's true. We'll all get there someday. <laughs> and as he lights up the cigarette, something smacks into the boat again. And this time it brings the whole side of the boat up in the water. And you have to uh, grab the side of the boat to, to hang on. Oh, yeah. We're full white knuckles. Yeah. And uh, at this point, your your uncle is is kind of patting down the lit cigarette that's fallen into his his lap while holding onto the side of the boat, and he's he actually looks concerned. And as the two of you are looking on this uh, around at the water, you see that there seems like um, there's like a there's something moving towards you in the water. You see that whatever it is, it's very large, probably three times the size of your boat and there's no fin though you are instantly reminded of shark movies where um some large creature is moving rapidly through the water and you can see the ripples coming off from the side of it what do you do um we should can we start the motor we should go we should we should go right now uncle harold goes well yeah yeah i, I guess i guess i'll start the motor i mean it's it's just a little turbulence and I don't... charlie's like launched across the boat and is trying to pull the the string at this point okay cool why don't we do a, an act under pressure oh well i don't know what the bonus would be for 14 it's okay Charlie. we'll go with whatever you got as a base yeah that's a four so <laughs> okay <laughs> ain't gonna work <laughs> so so we hear that just like an old lawnmower when you're yeah. trying to start it and the the line just gets caught and it kind of gurgles for a moment, and then the creature smacks headfirst into the side of your boat, and it flips over into the water. I think she just goes under for a second. Okay. It's not super cold. You go underneath the water. It's pretty murky, and you're not able to touch the bottom. So wherever you're at, is it's very, very deep. Uh, as you break back up through the surface, you see... Not too far away, there's sort of an outcropping of rocks that are rising out of the water. And you see that your uncle has also made his way up from underneath the water. Is the boat like totally just flipped over unusable? It's floating, but it's upside down. Yeah, I think Charlie's, while she's coughing up water and trying to purge her nose, is going to just make a beeline for those rocks as best as she can. Uh, is she close to her uncle? Like... You're not too far away from him. He, however, is swimming towards the boat. No, I think she's going to go for the rocks. Why don't you give me an act under pressure roll again? It's a straight eight. Nice. Okay. I'm going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. So as you scramble up onto these slippery rocks, you look over your shoulder and you see your uncle clambering up onto the remains of the boat. And before his leg is completely up onto the side of the boat, something comes up and you see just this serpentine head with rows upon rows of sharp teeth, each easily the size of a butcher knife, grab into his leg and pull him beneath the water. There's probably a lot of screaming. You know, in a horror movie when it's scarier because then the water just goes still. And yes. There's like, it's like there's nothing happens. There's a couple happens. of bubbles. Yeah, and that's it. It's very that, where that like stillness is so much worse than anything that could be happening on the surface. But yeah, there's just so much screaming. So I'm going to say that for the rest of the night, 
you wait and wait for people to come looking for you. And finally, at about two in the morning, you start to see searchlights out on the lake. But you also hear the sound of something moving in the water around you. You can almost hear, uh, hear it circling. And every once in a while, you will hear the snapping of jaws as it just misses where you are. Finally, you are found by search and rescue and put onto the ship. What do you do? Do you tell anyone about this experience? So they're probably grilling her about what happened. And I don't know if the boat remains are still kind of floating around nearby, but they're probably able to recover it. And there's enough damage to see that there was some kind of collision. Yes. Charlie's probably not saying much, but they are assuming that it hit the rocks that she was on. Um, and it's ruled death by misadventure. Yeah. So she's, I think she may have tried once to sort of explain what was happening and they just talked over her and were like, no, it's got to be the rocks. Like, it's a good thing you were able to get up on the rock. They assume her uncle was concussed and went under. And I mean, she's 14. There was no way she could get him back up. Never mind that Charlie is not at all interested in touching the water in any shape or form or in any capacity um, ever again. But I mean, most notably is like just so skittish around it, um, even once she's in the boat and it's just like constant, you know, eyes flicking around. It's dark. It's worse somehow. Every like lap of the wave on the boat hull is nerve wracking, terrifying. So, Jimmy, let's go back to a time when you were younger and more innocent and didn't yet play football. Let's say you're what? Seven? Eight? Like eight. You are walking in the fields, the groves, the pecan groves, with your dad and your older sister, and you are in trouble. Again. I mean, they just stapled the, the answer sheet at the end. How was I supposed to know it was cheating? Now, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. oh, boy. I think you know that we have a reputation to uphold here in this town. That we grow nuts? We are the backbone of this town. And I cannot have a layabout, cheater, lying cheater as a son. Honesty, Jimmy. That's what these pecans really grow out of. Honesty. Oh, uh, that sh sure thing, Pa. Um, now get over there and start fixing that fence. Oh, okay. Um, what do I use? Honesty and hard work. Grit. Yeah, but like. Is that the name of like a hammer or a saw or something? I don't, I don't know a lot of these tools. You can figure it out. Your sister's already fixed the fence line on well, her side. She's older than me. Only two years. She was able to do this two years before you. When she was like six, she was out here fixing fences. Sister, you this, no, that. I don't know what you're talking about. Grumble. <laughs> Just grumble. So your grumble, father grumble. makes his way down the fence line and he goes up to talk to your sister. And you see that as you're messing with the the barbed wire, 
and cutting yourself intermittently, that embedded in the front of every single fence post is what looks to be a a silver coin. And as you're kind of uh, looking at it and messing with it, um, you see that it's pretty easy if you wanted to. You could just pop it out if you wanted. What would you like to do? Uh, yeah, I, I want the shiny thing. Like something I haven't noticed before. And yeah, I, I don't. Yep. Cool. So, so I'm not going to make you roll for oh, okay. it. You yeah. just grab a, you grab a screwdriver. No problem. Pop it out. And you see that there's this shiny, it almost looks like a, like a silver dollar. I wonder how much gum I could get for this. You feel this chill wind seem to pick up behind you. And for some reason, you know that something is looking at you. Who's there? You see that this rainy, cold February morning, there's a a certain level of fog that is settled in amongst the trees. Further down the rows of trees, you see that there's there's someone standing there, and it it looks like another child. Um, hello? The child raises its hand and it waves at you. Uh, hi, hi there. Who are you? It gestures towards you to come come over. Jimmy is a little freaked out and he's also dumb. <laughs> so he's going to go investigate the child and see if he can make a new friend. Okay. So you walk oh, down no. the rows the rows of pecans and the grove and you see that as you approach this child he has his head down and there's long dark hair covering his face and it's much longer than your dad has ever allowed you to grow your hair when you get within five six feet of him he looks up and you see that where this boy should have eyes there's only blackness And he opens his mouth and he says, Come play with us, Jimmy. Come play. Uh, I I don't know who you are, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to have some eyes or something. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go talk to my pa. Um, I'll see you later, whatever your name is. So as you start to back away, the creature opens its mouth and you see that as its its jaw opens much, much nope, larger nope, than nope, yours nope, can. Nope, nope, nope. And there are sharp, nope, pointy teeth nope. and a long, pointed, almost reptilian tongue that is forked, uh, darting out between its teeth. And it lets out a... And it starts to run towards you. Poop butts, poop. Uh, dang it. <laughs> Just all, all my uh, eight-year-old swears. Jimmy, Jimmy's going to try and scramble away into the foggy trees, screaming his head off. Okay, so you're screaming your head off, and you're running through the trees, and you get a, you get a little, with the fog, you get a little disoriented. And so you don't notice when you smack right into your father, who is repairing one of the fence lines. And he says, Jimmy, what are you doing? 
Paul, there was a boy over there and it had a big old mouth and he opened it up and there's like a long tongue sort of thing. It was really freaking. He tried to eat me. He said, come play with us forever. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I didn't like it at all. Had really long hair longer than you could ever, uh, ever let me do. And I think you could have a sweet mohawk with it. If you ever all right, it. stop it. <laughs> boy, go back to the house. Don't you come back out here in the fields again and try spinning your little stories. You think that's going to get you out of work? No, get out. And he picks you up and he sets you on the other side of the fence behind the barbed wire. And he says, get to the house now. Okay. Yes, 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 Paul. When you run back in, you see that your ma is cooking. Jenny, what are you doing back in this house? Paul sent me back, Ma. Well, you go back in there and you take care of your little brother, Jonah. What? Jonah's so needy. He don't... All he wants to do... He's a baby. Of course he's needy. He always eats my stuff or tries to. He doesn't have any teeth. Jimmy? Yeah? I will not hear another word. You obviously got in trouble with your daddy. You know what? Just go to your room. Go to your room right now. You said I did such a great job. Go got, okay. Ugh. Later that night, you wake up because you hear a, a commotion out in the yard. And you look out and you see by the porch light that your dad is walking out into the field with a bundle in his arms. Uh, I, I see it from my bedroom window. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just disappearing into the orchard with a small bundle wrapped in a blanket in his arms. So that's weird. Yeah, just waking up in his natural curiosity, even though the freaky thing that happened out there, he's going to weirdly instinctively grab that coin that he just pried off from the fence from earlier. Like, kind of like about to leave the room and just feel like, no, I should have this. He's going to like try and sneak down the stairs and leave the house and follow. Okay, so why don't you give me an act under pressure roll? Well, that's a seven. So. All right. So on a seven to nine, I'm going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. So you make your way into the orchard, and you're able to follow your father for a little bit, uh, follow his flashlight. But the further he goes, the harder it is to figure out what direction he went. And finally, you find yourself completely lost in the orchard. And you're so deep in the forest of pecan trees at this point that you're not really sure where the sounds start coming from when they start. But you hear this strange, melodic chanting coming from somewhere in the darkness. And the next morning, your dad finds you asleep in a little ball next to a pecan tree. And he shakes you awake and he says, Jimmy. Yes, Paul. Come with me. I've got some bad news about baby Jonah. What, what, about, what, what about baby Jonah? Do you throw up on my toys again? No, no, he'll never throw up on your toys again. Hey, 
folks, Rockin' Ricky Latrell here. Thanks for listening to All My Hexes on WHXT. Want to hear more? You know you do. Check them out on social media and Patreon at Hexed Podcast. That's H-E-X-T Podcast. Or email hexpodcast at gmail.com. All My Hexes is recorded live at Nightwatch Games, San Antonio's premier Gamma award-winning game and hobby store. And folks, from the moment you walk in the door, you'll see this is no ordinary gaming store. Nightwatch is beautifully designed to resemble a medieval banquet hall. You'll see exposed wood beams on the ceilings, hand-carved shelves, armor and banners on the walls, and there's tons of gaming space on the main floor, with a huge library stocked with all the hottest games for you to try out for free. Nightwatch also has private rooms, including a Death Star-themed room for you sci-fi fans, loaded with the latest tech, lighting, sound effects, and terrain to take your RPG or tabletop game to a whole other level. So if you're looking for a new game to add to your collection, or you're shopping for your next Ren Faire costume, or you're just looking for a group of players for your favorite game, check out Nightwatch Games, where adventure awaits. So Alejandro, what's the name of your village? Delicias. Mm-hmm. And it's in the state of Tlaxcala, which is just to the east of the federal district. When you say it's around Christmas time, okay, it's December, and you are sitting watching your your uncle Alfonso with your brother in the kitchen, and they are mixing up various remedies for um, people to give away as gifts. Okay, and as your as your brother, what was his name again? His name is Tanoch. That's his, that's his nickname. It's short for Tenochtitlan, but Tenoch. Tenoch is, how much older is he than you? He's younger. Younger, okay. Yeah, he's the younger brother, and he's two years younger. Okay. You're about, what, 14, 15 at this point? Tenoch is, is learning all of the the magics and the the herb lore and the herb craft that your uncle has to teach at a rate that is astounding even to you. and. You are rather surprised when somebody bursts into your uncle's house and takes him aside, it's a woman, and begins speaking in hushed tones to him. And you hear the words bloodless and baby. And you see your uncle turn and he says to to both of you, he says, boys something terrible has happened we must go investigate so your uncle is is well respected in the town everyone knows that he is responsible for making sure that um, the weather functions the way that it should that people get whatever cures it is that they need to whatever ailments they have and so as you as you walk down the street usually you feel some some pride walking behind him but you see that that whatever has happened word has spread very quickly doors are shutting People are closing uh, shutters. There's almost palpable fear as you're heading down the street. And your uncle, has his presence usually would be calling to people. Right now it is not. As you follow him to this house, you see that the door is wide open. And lying next to a crib is a man who is just weeping, holding, it looks like, a dead child. What would you like to do? Ochos is with his little brother mm-hmm. together. 
So um, we'd like to get a little closer, but not get in the way of family, mm -hmm. uh, especially if there are other people grieving and that kind of thing. So being respectful, mm -hmm. but they'd like to get a better look and take a look and see if you can tell what's wrong with the infant or child. Okay. So the child is very, very pale. And you see that there are two rather pronounced puncture marks on the face. On the face. Mm-hmm. Ochos will turn to his uncle and say, Tio, what, what is this? What is going on here? What happened to this child? He says, uh, the creature that can do this is something far beyond what I am capable of fighting or you or your brother. The best that we can do is hope that it doesn't look our way and pray for these poor people. Is there anything we can do for this family? We can pray for them. What can cause this? What kind of creature are we talking about? There are a few things that can kill, but there is only one that, um, that has such specific tastes, and I do not wish to draw its attention. Therefore, we will uh, leave this place, and we will not mention it to your family, to anyone. Are we in any danger? Is Danoch in any danger? No, usually, usually not. Unless we draw its attention, it's, then it will focus on whoever draws its ire. Well, why did they call you, Theo? I think they thought I could do something. But there's not much I could do. You see that underneath the crib, they already have the open pair of scissors to protect them. You see that they have the cross on the window. There's, there's not much else I can do. It did not seem to have mattered much. No. Whatever this thing is, it is much more powerful than our normal remedies. So later that night, you are back at your house with your brother. And you see that your brother is sneaking out of bed and has taken from your uncle's house a couple of his his pieces of armor and seems to be getting ready to leave for the night. What would you like to do? Ochos is going to sit up in bed and, hermanito, what, what are you doing? Go back to sleep. Why? What? This is a dream. Ah, nice try, hermanito. You heard our tío. There's dangerous things around. What are you doing? Tío is a scared old man. I'm already more powerful than he is. He may not be able to stop this thing, but I can. Are you kidding me? What, what, what are you, where are you going to go? I'm going to go and find it. You heard what Theo said. Don't draw its attention. I heard the woman. She said that before it came into their house, they saw a giant bird outside the window. I'm going to find that bird and I'm going to kill it. Okay, listen. You're not going without me. Of course not, of course not. Of course I wouldn't go without you, Alejandro. Okay. Well, what, what are you doing? You're putting on some armor, and what are you doing with that, uh, is that the Makwa Weaven? I'm going to go and kill it. I told you. Let's go then. So the two of you make your way out of the house. You sneak out. As you head down the, the small road in the center of your village, you see that the moon is, is shining very brightly down on the town itself. And there in the center of the road, you see this, this large bird. And at first glance, it looks, it looks like a turkey. 
And it seems to just be making its way up to one house. And it pauses. And it turns. And it makes its way to another house. And it pauses. And then it turns. And then it finally stops in front of one house. And it pecks three times on the door. And your brother turns to you and he says, that's it. That's the bird. It's a buitre. It's a buzzard. What? Are you sure? That's it. I, I mean, the woman said. What do, what do you want to do? You want to try to capture it? No, we're going to kill it. Como? What are we doing? He goes, I'll show you what we're doing. And he runs after it. Tenoch! I'm going to run after Tenoch. After so as his blade comes down to where the turkey was, you see that there is nothing there. As your brother looks around, trying to see where the creature had gone to, you see on his face, there appears to be some sort of insect. It's about the size of your fist, and it buries its mouth into the side of his face. And as he turns to look at you, you see the life and the blood being drained out of him, almost as if this thing is a giant tick sucking out everything from him. And he collapses at your feet, a lifeless husk. Tenoch! No, Tenoch! He try, Ochos is desperate to try to get this thing off of his face. He's going to use everything in his power to try to remove this thing. Okay, act under pressure. Another seven. Okay, so I'm going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. So the outcome, the worse outcome is going to be that you do not get this creature off in oh, time. no. And as you tear this creature off of his face, you see it fly across the street. And then it transforms. And you see that standing on two hands with no legs is a woman of sorts. But her face seems to be almost bubbling and shifting as if it is incapable of staying in human form. And it looks at you and it hisses and then it transforms back into a turkey and it flies away. Ocho screams into the night. I see you, Bruja. I know your face. I want my brother back. So, Lenore, it is August 22nd, which is a important day for you. And you have just moved to Hext, Texas, about a month ago. And your cell phone has been ringing off the hook, and you see that it is your mentor slash friend for lack of a better word, Detective Hernandez. I mean, I'm, I'm going to answer it. I don't usually like talking on the phone, but I'd pick up the phone for Monica. She says, well, I know what day it is, Lenore, so I'm not going to bother with hello or how are you. Good. Do you want to come on by my house? After, you know, I, I know I know how it is today, of all days. Yeah, well... The thing is, it's a bit of a drive. Why don't you come on by? I'll make you some food. It'll it'll be better than sitting there in that house by yourself, just playing Loretta Lynn over and over again. What's wrong with Loretta? 
There's nothing wrong. What's wrong with the classics? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying you need to get out of the house today. Maybe try to focus on something else. Fine. You got anything needs fixing? I'll find something. I'll break it if I have to. All right, Monica. You're good people. I know. Now head up this way. All right. I'll see about two. Sounds good. Okay. So you pile into your old truck. You start heading up to Amarillo. As you're driving, you think back to the first time and the worst time that you went through this particular date. So where were you the first time that you met Detective Hernandez? I was out at the back end of the high school parking lot. It's before school had started back up. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, just me and my boyfriend, Jesse, in his beat-up old Camaro, hotboxing. And you hear this clunk, clunk, clunk on the window. Shit, shit, put it out, put it out. And you roll down the window. It's very non-suspiciously as <laughs> just clouds of smoke pour out of your car. And you see standing there is a police officer. She looks at you and she says, uh, now kids, I know I don't have to say anything about what you're doing right now. We're not doing nothing, ma'am. Uh <coughs> Is your name Lenore Atchison? Maybe. Look, Why? I don't care about the weed. Is your name Lenore Atchison? Yeah, I mean, that's the name my mama gave me. I mean, what do you, what do you want me to say? Lenore, would you mind stepping out of the car? Uh, there's, there's been an accident. We, we're not driving. I mean, the keys aren't even in the ignition, officer. I'm... Why don't you just step outside of the car? We need to talk. Okay, um... Jesse, I'll be right back. And she gets out of the car. She's spritzing yeah. air freshener. She <laughs> takes the pine tree from the rearview mirror. She's rubbing it under her arms. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you get into the police car and she doesn't make you sit in the back. She has you sit in the front seat next to her. And okay. she says, um, she says, Lenore, there, there was a fire. There was a fire at your house. I, I don't know any other way to say it. There was a fire at your house. And, uh, well, it looks like both your your mom and your pop were in it. What? Are they, are they okay? Where are they? Can I see them? You really, um, no, they are not okay. Ah. I mean, they were fine. I saw Mama just this morning. I mean, we... We had a fight. You don't mean... And so you're driving down the road towards Amarillo. And uh, you kind of crank up a little more Loretta Lynn on repeat. You have an entire playlist that you only use for this day. And uh, a few hours later, you are outside of Monica Hernandez's house. And uh, as you pull up, she's standing there waiting for you, and she has a ice-cold beer. And uh, she hands it to you as soon as you get out of the, out of the car. And she says, um, Lenore, there's, I figure you're old enough now. There's, there's something I need to show you. 
I'm 32, Monica. I know, and I you mean, didn't I've, talk I've, to me for like 10 years. I was going to tell you the last time we talked, but you were just so angry and, you know, things were going south with Jesse and I figured now's not the time, Monica, and then you're gone. I had some things I had to work on I, I get, and I couldn't do it here. I get that. Um, so you remember how, I'm just going to tell you, I'll just say it outright. Okay. So you remember how I told you that your parents died in an accidental fire? Yeah, I know that's what you told me. Well, the thing is, is I've been trying to figure out, I don't think that it was an accident. I've been trying to figure out, well, for, what, 20 years now? Exactly what it is, what happened that night. And I'm getting old, and I, but I figure you should know the truth. And Monica, she, wait. Let me, let me stop you right there. I think I already know what you're going to say. Oh, yeah? I do. I mean, no one ever listened to me. And I don't have any proof. But I think I know what happened. Well, here's my file on it. Okay. And you look through it. And then you go ahead and you let me know what you think at another point in time after you have some time to process it. Today is probably either the best day to tell you or the worst day to tell you. I'm not really sure, so I just figured I'd do it. I mean, it's not that I don't appreciate it, and it would be nice to have evidence, I guess. I just, what good does it do now after so long? I don't know. I stir up things that have been buried a long time. You just look through it. You let me know. All right. But you're right. Not not today. Let's, uh... Shit, I don't know. You want me to put on some of that... Not... That not. playlist that you... You made. It reminds you of your mom. Yeah. I got myself one of those, um... Those... Those speakers that you can put your phone in. We can put it there. Shit. <laughs> That's downright fancy, Monica. <laughs> um, so it's about nine o'clock at night when you finally start to head back to Hexed. And you're sort of speeding down the highway, processing everything that you've read, processing your entire day. When something runs out in front of your car before you can react and you smack right into it. Your car kind of, uh, your truck actually, mm -hmm. spins out, the headlights hit the side of the road, and you see what looks to be a human-ish form crouched, well, unmoving, on the side of the road. What do you do? Fuck. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. Uh, go look. Um, couldn't grab the shotgun from the gun rack. Um, <laughs> because that's what you do. <laughs> well, I mean, just in case, like, yeah. if it's still alive, you don't want it to be there suffering. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to leave the headlights on, open the door, and step down from the truck. Okay. You approach the creature, and its breathing is rather ragged. And as you sort of, it still looks a lot like a person. Mm. 
So you kick it over to see its face. And when you do, you are surprised by what you see. What? You? We next see Lenore in her house. And she has installed about five locks on one of her bedroom doors on the outside of the door to keep something in. And a playlist is on repeat. Loretta Lynn over and over and over again. Thanks for listening to All My Hexes. The keeper was Bernetta McFergus. Lenore Acheson was played by Jasmine McFergus. Charlie Larson was played by Sarah Lawrence. Alejandro Ochoa was played by John Nav Navarrete. Jimmy Bagley was played by Tyler J. McMahon. Please subscribe, like, and share us with your friends. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podcast. that's H-E-X-T podcast, or email us at hexedpodcast at gmail.com. Join us in two weeks, and remember, dig deeper. The truth starts six feet under.